sing to Jesus. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for his will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain for all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace. Sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And faithful is he that calleth you, who will also do it. We thank you, Father, for the great and precious promises that we find in the Word of God, the promises of not only the, the coming of our Savior, but, but our salvation, the fulfillment of his mission. Lord, thank you so for our Savior. Thank you, Lord, that we are preserved as your saints, as your people, preserved blameless. Incredible to think about how we can be preserved blameless without spot or wrinkle because of you. We thank you and praise you, God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Congratulations, you navigated the daylight savings time correctly. So if there's somebody you see missing today, you'll know why. No judgment. <laughs> uh, but it does seem as though the older I get, the more difficult these changes are. So. So. Family, we are in Acts chapter 14 this morning, and we're going to be studying the first 22 verses. I'd like to begin with as we consider the, um, the title of today's message, Tribulation Isn't Easy, uh, I'm sure every single one of us here have undergone some form of tribulation. I'm not talking about the Great Tribulation. We aren't going to be faced with that, but we do go through things, don't we? And Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5. He said, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into his grace, praise God for that, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope in the glory of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is <clears throat> excuse me, given unto us. Verse 3 says, but we glory in tribulations also. How are you doing with that? <laughs> it, it isn't easy. But Paul says we can do that. And we can rejoice and glory in it. And you know, as we look at the scriptures today, it's, it's a very, very interesting passage, and we're going to see some persecution and tribulation of Paul the Apostle, who went through a great deal of it. But uh, here in this chapter, we see, when we get to the end of this chapter, it won't be today, but we're going to see the completion of the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas after which they would return to Antioch of Syria. Remember, Antioch of Syria was the new headquarters for the early church. Remember that, as we looked at last week, Paul and Barnabas, you talk about tribulation and persecution, they were just kicked out 
of Antioch of Pisidia. The reason being the religious leaders were full of envy of Paul and Barnabas because many people, Jew and Gentile alike, they came to Christ. And of course, that stepped on their spiritual toes. And Jesus has a way you know, when he apprehends a person's heart and begins to affect change in a person's life that it's not received well by everyone. But praise God, and you know, we can look at things like this and say, oh man, what's wrong with those people? These guys are doing good in the city and they kick them out. But you know, it's part of God's plan for them. And here's why I say that. I praise God they were asked to leave after many souls came to Christ. So when they left, they left many believers behind and that city was now filled with the Holy Spirit of God and they continue to bring forth the gospel of grace to the people that are there. And that, that, it just kept on growing. But not only that, once they were kicked out and left, it didn't end their journey. From there, they went to another city. They went to the city of Iconium. And we see this in verse 1 of chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews... And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the, also of the Greeks, they believed. So there's fruit. The gospel's being spread. We see this great multitude, Jew and Gentile like coming to Christ. And that's what we love to see, don't we? We love to see people coming to Christ. They heard the message of salvation by faith in Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, no other way to have our sin forgiven other than Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament sacrifices were incomplete. They weren't wrong, they were just incomplete. And Jesus came as the fulfillment of those. And people be, began to understand that my sin can be forgiven not by what I have done, but something much, much greater outside of me. And that is through a relationship with the one that laid his life down on the cross. They trusted in the message that Paul and Barnabas shared, and, and they were saved. And that's the glorious message of the gospel, and it is glorious, isn't it? What a message, a message of hope. Yet so many people reject it, but we embrace it. For us, it's, the, it's salvation expressed through the person of Jesus Christ and our faith and trust in him. <clears throat> but as you might expect, and we've seen this throughout, as you might expect, wherever the Lord is working mightily, to bring souls to that place of salvation, the enemy of our souls, the devil, he's also hard at work. Verse 2, again, verse 1 said, many souls, both Jew and Gentile, came, or Greeks believed, but, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil or poisoned their minds and affected against the brethren. Poison the minds of these Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. And it's interesting to think how we protect our physical bodies. That's a very common thing. This is what we should do. We protect our bodies from poisonous or harmful substances and their dangers, but how much less are we concerned about the potential of a mind being poisoned? I don't think we think about that quite as often. And there's nothing that so poisons the mind as much as what we're finding here in this chapter is lies and slander. And that's what they used against Paul and Barnabas, slander, poisoned words, lies. 
discrediting Paul and Barnabas before the people, discrediting the work of the Lord in an effort to knock them off course. And how powerful words can be, can't they? How powerful in influencing one person against another. And when you think of our, our court system here, our entire courtroom defense is built on the premise that words are powerful and can have a great influence on the hearers. Words mean something. In the book of James, chapter 3, verses 3 through 6, it says, Behold, <clears throat> we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which, though they are so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor or the, the, the captain listeth or desires. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. So the tongue can be used in a way that really does great harm in poisoning the minds. So we have to be very careful, not only what we say, but what we listen to, right? It's easy to read stories and, and accounts on the internet or wherever else, but you know we need to check the facts ourselves. You can't rely on some person on social media to do, your, to do your research for you. We need to do it. Tells us in verse 3 that they stayed in Iconium a long time in spite of this. They realize this is a difficult place. It says here in verse 3, A long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And praise God for the heart of, of, of people like Paul and Barnabas. In a difficult place, in a hostile environment, they wanted to be there for the new Christians. They did not want to abandon them, and that's a great heart. And on the contrary, they, they wanted to encourage them in their growth in Jesus Christ. So they persevered, speaking boldly the word of God's grace. Don't you love that? They spoke of the grace of God. In the grace of God, it's something that we really need to get a hold of. Because we don't deserve anything but hellfire. But God has given us salvation through his son. Why? Because of his grace. So it's a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of works that I've done this in order to get that. It's a gospel of grace that God would say, I've given you this in spite of you. We can't add to our salvation. It's not about our performance, but rather the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I'm so grateful, aren't you, that when Jesus went to the cross that he said, it is finished. Aren't you thankful for those words rather than, I've done our part now, now you do your part. All we need to do is trust in him. It's all his work. Following him is the response to his love. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, in Christ alone. So we see here in this verse that the Lord confirmed the work of Paul and Barnabas. And how? Through signs and wonders. God put his stamp of approval on the work that was being done there. 
Now, not only did they persevere in the face of adversity, they were faithful. They continued on the work of the Lord. Faithfully sharing, no matter what the opposition, they brought the gospel forth, and God honored that. Well, ultimately, a violent attempt was made by the Jews and Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas with the intent to stone them. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Again, that word, but... The, you know, there's works again. I mean, they did miracles, signs and wonders. God put a stamp of approval on. But the multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews, in part with the apostles. And, then, and when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to what? To stone them. They didn't stone people in those days as a means of punishment. The intent was to kill that person, to put an end. That was the intent of these Jews and Gentiles, to bring a complete end to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. But you know what? You think about the stoning of Stephen. Did the gospel end there? No. No, the Lord used that in the, in the life of this guy named Saul of Tarsus, and here he is, as now as Paul the Apostle, preaching the word of God, bringing forth the word of God, attempt made here, they're talking about stoning him and Barnabas to death. But that wouldn't have been the end of their ministry either. It tells us in verse 6 that they became aware of it. It says, And they were aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. Now, did they run away because they were afraid? Not at all cowardice no they they fled because it was wisdom on their part they left not of fear but rather to keep on preaching following the instructions of jesus well how do we know that well here, jesus said this in matthew 10 23 but when they persecute you in this city flee you to another for verily i say unto you you shall not have gone over the cities of israel till the son of man be come so they moved on we see in verse 7 that they traveled to Lystra, which is prominently a Gentile city, and there they preached the gospel. So here he is. Here's Paul while he's preaching. We find someone in the audience listening. I'm sure there's more than one person listening, but there's one in particular that's pointed out here, and we see him in verses 8 and 9. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. So there he is, he's preaching in this man, unnamed man, a man that's been crippled since birth, never walked. He was listening. Paul paid attention. He saw, he looked at this man, noticed that he had faith. He, he could see his faith. How could he see it? I don't know. God gave him a word of knowledge. The gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And while Paul's preaching, something takes place in this lame man's heart that this God, this that man is preaching about, this God can heal me. So when Paul recognized this, he spoke loudly to this man. Verse 10 says, and with a loud voice, he said, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Not the first time in the book of Acts we've seen that, is it? Leaping and praising God back in chapter 3. 
Well, as you might expect, you know, news of this miracle, it traveled throughout the region. And the people, verses 11 and 12 says, saw what Paul had done. And they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. So they attributed this miracle to the gods Jupiter and Mercurius, Roman names for Zeus and Hermes. They looked at Barnabas as Jupiter disguised as a mortal. They looked at Paul as Mercurius also as disguised as a mortal. And now that Jupiter and Mercurius showed up in town, that's what they thought. It says in verse 13 that the, then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates, which would have done sacrifice with the people. So, hey, the gods have arrived in our city. And they begin to provide sacrifices and worshiping them as gods. Well, when Paul and Barnabas realized what was happening, they, they certainly wouldn't allow it to continue. It says in verse 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard, they rent their clothes or tore their clothes and ran in among the people crying out, tearing of clothing. It's a sign of deep grief. That something is very troubling in the heart. Heart was being torn <clears throat> and saying, sirs, verse 15, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities or false gods unto the living God which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So what are they doing? They're, they're being praised as, as gods and Paul and Barnabas turn it right around and say, no, no, this isn't me. We're just men. And they began to point them to the one true and living God, the God of the Bible, that created all things, the one that was responsible for this healing. Hey, it's not us, it's God. The God who, it's God that has done it. But you know what? They didn't want to hear that. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they're without excuse. And then Paul shared with them that God in times past let the nations do what they wanted, but always left them with the evidence of his goodness. And we see this in verses 16 and 17, where it says, Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. They kept pointing to God as they ought. In verse 18, it says, And with these sayings, it scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. They wanted nothing to do with what Paul and Barnabas shared. They wanted to continue to, to point to Jupiter and Mercurius as the one that did the work. Paul brought them to the, the Creator, of course one that provided, but this wasn't good enough for them. It wasn't enough for them to put an end to their sacrifices. You know, it's interesting, you know, oftentimes when we share with people, when we share Christ with them, one of the reasons for rejecting is it's just not enough for me. They're so closely held by the world and onto the things of the world, they say, well, Jesus just isn't enough which is so incredibly sad. And the reason for that, they just don't know. 
It's ignorance. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you know, once we've tasted him, we can't help to say, oh, my God is good. My Savior is beautiful. My Savior changed my life. And I will never, ever, ever turn back. Jeremiah 4.22 says, For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children, and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Again, speaking of the ignorance of the rejection of the truth. Now we see is that some of the Jews from the cities of the cities they came from, Antioch of Pisidia and Iconium, where they previously visited, they came to Lystra. And they came with this purpose to undermine the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And they're sufficiently succeeded in stirring up the superstitious crowd to stone Paul. Remember, their plan was to kill him. They bring other people in to, to discredit Paul and Barnabas, especially now in the, given the fact that they're rejecting Jupiter and Mercurius, the gods that they revered. So here's what happened. Verse 19, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city. They took his body out of the city, supposing he had been dead. They were convinced that his life had departed. So they left him there. Stone him. What a horrible way to die. Just like Stephen. And these aren't little stones and pebbles they're hurling, hurling at people. These are stones meant to do harm and to kill. And back when we talked about Stephen, it was a showering of stones that come in and impact a person. And can you imagine being hit by one and then more and more and more to the point where you're lying on the ground dead from it. It tells us this in verse 20. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, this is incredible, he rose up and came into the city and the next day departed with Barnabas to Derbe. The disciples are gathered around Paul's body. They're thinking he's dead. You know, imagine, they're gathered around, they're looking at, at Paul's body on the ground, and, and all of a sudden, he starts to move. And then he moves a little more. And then a little more. And then he stands up. And what did he do then? Well, I imagine he said, hey, listen, guys, this is no time for a funeral. There's work to be done. Went straight back into the place where he was stoned. Did he go with weapons to take out those that had stoned him? No, he came armed with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the gospel of grace. What a heart! Ready to start again. Stoning couldn't stop him. He went back to water the seeds that have already been planted. Verses 21 and 22. It says, When they had preached the gospel in that city... And had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. And here's what they did. Confirming or strengthening the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, Paul described this to Timothy. 
who I suspect was probably in the audience when Paul's body was lying on the ground. It says this. Paul said to Timothy, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, this is what we're talking about in Acts 14, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Amen to that. Amen. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus might suffer persecution. It doesn't say that, does it? Says shall suffer persecution. Persecution isn't easy. Tribulation isn't easy. And when I consider persecution, I'd like to think all of us would like to believe we would do well in the face of it. And we could say, yeah, count me in. But I'm not so sure we would fare as well as we think that we would. Why? Because it's hard. Persecution is hard. It's painful. It can be discouraging and certainly distracting from the work of the Lord that He has called us to do. Why do you think we're persecuted? Well, for our faith, for sure, but the enemy used that to draw our attention away from Jesus and onto our circumstances. And maybe we're not as prepared for it as we think. But if you're walking with Jesus, Persecution in one form or another, it is inevitable. Notice with me in verse 22, there's a word there that, that says tribulation. The Greek word for tribulation is thalipsis. We've talked about this before. It refers to a hardship. Not the kind of hardship that we normally experience. A hardship we might say, well, you know, I couldn't pay this bill this month. And that's bad, okay? That's hardship. What this hardship he's talking about is it's a crushing trouble. And it comes upon our lives in a way that feels like a great weight that's been placed on our chest. Making breathing very, very difficult and labored. And that's how they used to punish criminals. Back in that day, they would lay something on their chest and put a boulder on it, making it very, very difficult to bring air back into the lungs, just, just crushing and painful. It's also used to describe the crushing of grapes to squeeze out the juice or olives to extract the oil. And that's the pressure that Jesus experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's described as thalipsis. And what Paul said here is this Christian life can be at times a thalipsis, difficulty that takes our breath away, either emotionally, physically, or spiritually. Has that ever happened to you? Where you feel like, oh, there's just nothing left here. In verse 22, in describing this, this tribulation, this thalipsis, it's prefaced with the word much, or many in the New King James, if you have a New King James. It means that this tribulation... It isn't a one-time occurrence and it just leaves us alone. We can't say, okay, it's done now. I've gone through it. I've earned my stripes. No. He says, much. It means we're going to experience it again. For the Christian, it can come up at any time as you live godly. So don't get surprised. 
Now, tribulation can be a result of spiritual warfare. During this missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas, remember, they were in Pathos, they, they encountered this man named Bar-Jesus. He was a sorcerer. Remember when, when Paul and Barnabas were sharing with Sergius Paulus, the governor? And in comes this guy, Bar-Jesus, and he's trying to distract the sorcerer, trying to pull the gospel right out of the heart of Sergius Paulus. But you know what? God is greater. And Paul dealt with it then very powerfully. In this kind of spiritual warfare, it takes place when a person's being used by God to grow the kingdom of God. It's a war that's taking place over the soul. It's a battle. Do you remember when you came to Christ? Do you remember any kind of battle going on over your life? That you could sense there's something... There's something, I, I feel like I need to move in this direction, but something's holding me back. Did, did you ever experience that? And it can come in many, many forms. It can come in a form of lies, can't it? It can come in a form of slander against the person that's being used by God. Someone's sharing a gospel with you, and then all of a sudden somebody out of nowhere comes and says, don't listen to that guy. He's full of it. He's full of baloney. He's got a bunch of lies. Don't believe him. That's warfare. It can also come to you in the form of betrayal. Those that you once thought were your friends. You begin to express, gee, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing after Jesus. You did what? What's the matter with you? you got to give up everything. You're going to lose so much. That's the kind of persecution we can face. Maybe a family member, right? Maybe a family member found out that you came to Christ and they turned against you. They turned their back for no other reason than you are now a Christian following Jesus Christ and not following the ways of the world. Or maybe it can come in a form of a spouse that just doesn't understand and takes a stand against you. These things are real. Now, does persecution mean that physical harm will come to you? No, not necessarily, but the essence is this. When you name the name of Jesus Christ as the authority over your life, people are going to watch. They're going to observe. They're going to listen with their ears to what you have to say, and they will try to find fault or try to shoot holes in your testimony so they can criticize you. You think you're so holy? I saw what you did. I heard what you said. Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm saved. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But many don't want to understand it and refuse to understand that. Do you think that a man or a woman that's walking in godliness and taking a stand for what's right by God's definition can make everybody happy? <laughs> no, that's not happening. And there is certainly, there is a way to avoid persecution or tribulation, and that is to say nothing or do nothing and stand for nothing. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to stand in the light and the integrity and the love of Jesus Christ no matter what. Some people think if you live a godly life, you will escape persecution. But no, no. The reason for the persecution is because you're living differently. You're separate. You know, Jesus, he, he didn't escape persecution, did he? No. They nailed him to a cross. How about the Apostle Paul? Well, we see here he was stoned and left for dead, but that was just the beginning of it. 
You won't escape it either. It works just the opposite. Those that live godly shall suffer persecution. Now mind you, this, is, this message isn't designed to scare anybody. This is a fact. This is the truth of God's word that he says we, might, we, we have to expect this. Well, what do we do? Well, let's take another look at verse 22. That we must go through much tribulation to enter into the kingdom of God. We must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. It's not referring to the new birth. The new birth, of course, is how we are able to enter into the kingdom of God. But here in verse 22, it speaks of the absolute reality that, that we do enter into his glory at the end of this life. That's what we have to look forward to. It's important that we are, we're often reminded that at times on this path we walk as a Christian, it can be so difficult. But remember that this path that we're on, it leads to heaven. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's the only path that leads and ends in heaven. Remember in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, Jesus just fed the multitudes. And as you might expect, there's a lot of followers. Hey, this guy's got a free lunch for us. He's like a vending machine. You don't have to put money in. The food just came out and came out and came out so much that the leftovers, right? Great crowds followed. But Jesus took this opportunity, as he always did, to give them a lesson to teach them about the terms of discipleship that would be required as a follower of him. How'd the crowd respond? Well, many, it says, they began to walk away. And it seems as though a great number left him, and Jesus stood there. He stood there with his disciples that remained, and here's what he said in John 6, verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, will you also go away? Well, that's a soul-bearing question, isn't it? It bears the soul. He said, will you also go away? Is this path too difficult? Given the fact that the things I just shared with you, is this path too difficult? This is the life I'm calling you to live. Will you leave me also? Well, Peter, he answered on behalf of the other disciples. It says, then Peter answered him, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. This tells me that, that Peter began to think about this. He thought it through, and he carefully considered what Jesus was asking. And then he concluded this, there's no other way. Where else can I go, Lord? Where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. Later, Paul would agree and express this, this in Romans 8.18. He said, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the word reckon means this, that he, he it's like putting, putting both conditions on a scale. He took all of what this life produces in the terms of persecution and suffering on one side, he weighed that against the glory of heaven, and he said this, there's no contest. There's no comparison 
he would exchange no amount of suffering at the expense of entering into the kingdom of God. And Paul suffered. But he made up his mind to follow Jesus no matter what. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus no matter what? Have you committed your life to your master no matter what the cost? That's one of the terms of discipleship. If you have, then you will suffer persecution. You will suffer persecution. You won't escape it, but you know what? God will deliver you out of them all. Again, 2 Timothy 3.11, persecutions, afflictions which came unto me in Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Don't you love that? Don't you just love that? The Lord delivered me. He is our deliverer, family. And no matter what path he has you on, Jesus walks with you in the trials. He walks with you in the afflictions. You're not on your own. In John 16, Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. He said, I've overcome the world. Paul the Apostle understood that whatever he went through was his portion. That's what God permitted. That's what God allowed in his life. That was his portion. It was very, very personal. Now, do we all have to go through what Paul the Apostle went through? Have any of you been shipwrecked? Stoned to death? Beaten with stripes three times? I don't think so. But that was, that was Paul. That's not you. We're not to compare ourselves to others. Why? Here's what Isaiah says in chapter 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And you know, we can all have different furnaces of affliction because my refining is different than yours as yours is different than mine. Why? Because God knows what we need. He knows how to refine each of us. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. It's painful, but you know what? There's the peaceable fruit of righteousness that comes forth from it. Inasmuch as when an olive is pressed, what comes out? Olive oil, and it's wonderful, it's beautiful. The Italians say it's delicious stuff. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it is. But it comes through oppressing, doesn't it? God knows what we need. And you know, in the, this, this furnace of affliction, you know who's got the hand on the thermostat? Jesus does. He, he isn't going to toast you. He brings it up just enough to get to your attention, right? And you begin, become refined in the furnaces of affliction. God knows what we need. Is it easy? No, it's not easy. But you know, we take heart in these words of Jesus, and these are words that I long to hear, recorded in Matthew 25, 21. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You know, and sometimes we can be of the mindset that if I do my best to live a good life and I'm a nice person, my life will be relatively calm and trouble-free. And that's a nice notion. It really is. But when tribulations come, while we're trying to live this good life, it, it must mean that I'm doing something wrong or God, my God's upset with me. 
we can go there in our minds. We can begin to blame ourselves. But no, God is using things that he ordains to, to take place in our lives for his purposes and for his glory. And if we begin to think, well, must have done something wrong, it ignores the life of the ministry of Jesus. Did he ever do anything wrong? Never. And his life was full of tribulation, philipsis, and he always did good. Matthew 10, 24 says the disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. God didn't withhold it from Jesus and we're not above Jesus. Verse 22, it speaks of a fundamental truth in Christianity that's largely lost today. But it's vital for us to understand that through much tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God. We need to understand that. Because it's the truth. And we can try to gloss over it. Say, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Everything's going to be fine as a Christian. Everything is cool. This is not a seeker-friendly church. I pray that we're a church that seeks the truth of God's word. We have to be. So we need to talk about things like this. But you know, as you go through life and, and you maybe recognize some of the, the difficulties, the trials and tribulations and persecutions that you've been through, or maybe even today, and maybe in the privacy of your heart, maybe you need to consider this. It has... Has this thalipsis, this, this pressing, this squeezing in your life been so great that you're holding back and totally surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? I'm so grateful Jesus didn't hold back, aren't you? And he, you know what? When he purchased us with his blood, he purchased all of us. I mean, th this entire being, body, soul, and spirit, mind, all of it belongs to him. But maybe you're thinking, you know, as you've gone through difficulty or are going through it, I'm not, I'm not sure I can take it anymore. The pain of it, the rejection, it's hard, and I want to escape this pressing, this ellipsis. And only you know what's taking place in your own heart. But I pray that you would allow this passage to strengthen your soul and your heart, that you would realize that, that there's nothing wrong with you. The feelings that you have are not unusual or unknown to God. And the feelings that you might have right now thinking, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I can bear this. Understand, you, you serve a God that holds you up. You're not alone. And this passage is telling us here, in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith we're called to continue to run the race, to continue in the faith, and to continue to follow Jesus no matter what. You know, sure, the enemy tries to convince you, as he did the multitudes that followed Jesus, well, you know what, maybe this is a little more difficult than you thought. Maybe you need to go back and rethink this. And that's the voice of the enemy. 
But as you consider maybe and, and weigh your options, you would conclude as Peter did, Lord, where else can I go? You have the words of eternal life. My suffering is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in me. And maybe you're even discouraged even in the church. But the God that has called you in this Christian life has a firmer grip on you than you will ever know. He's got you in the palm of his hand. And he will one day personally deliver you into the glory of heaven. And Jesus, who has taken this path before us, he said this in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 29. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Isn't it comforting that Jesus knows you and he still loves you? <laughs> he knows you. He knows everything about you. They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And we serve, family, we serve a great shepherd that loves us. And he said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You're in, you're in great hands as a Christian. And nobody can remove you. Just stay close to Jesus. Continue in the faith. Press on. And I know some of you had shared things with me that I know life is hard. But can you imagine trying to navigate these waters without Jesus Christ. I can't imagine. You know, Jude said this. So we're going to wrap up here. In Jude, uh, verses 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and and forever. Amen. He's able to keep you and present you and me faultless. Yikes. I look at my life and how can anybody present me faultless? Well, Jesus did and he is because he has cleansed me. He's cleansed you if you belong to Jesus from all of your sin. Well, maybe today's a day you know, given your life circumstances or whatever maybe God has spoken today, maybe today's a day where God is calling you to refocus and recalibrate. And maybe as, as Peter considered and weighed all that was taking place, and Paul weighed all that was taking place, and you can safely conclude, where else can I go? I'm going to commit to Jesus. I'm all in. You know, there's a song, and I, I love it. I wrote the lyrics, and I think they're going to go be up on the board too. And maybe this is us today. Let's sing it together. How about that? How about it? Maybe Jackie will start here, because she's got the singing voice. I don't. <laughs> or, or some of you from our worship team, it would be wonderful. I'll start it, okay? I have decided... To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow you. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back, family. No turning back. Sorry you had to listen to this singing voice, but your voices are so much sweeter. But you know what a wonderful song. And this is really, it's really where we must be. No turning back. We belong to Jesus. The cross before us, the world behind us. Let's continue to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who is going to see you through. What, no matter what you're going through, Jesus has gone before you to make a way. And praise God for that. And if there's any here this morning that have not yet placed your faith and trust in Jesus, would you pray with me, please, if you'd like to receive Christ? And to know, as Paul had written here, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. It's the only place that we should desire to enter into the kingdom of God. Father, I come to you this morning and I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me and I know that you have made a way for a sinner like me to be forgiven and cleansed and it is through your son Jesus Christ who laid his life down on the cross died a horrible death and bled so that I might be forgiven. Cleanse me, Lord Jesus, of all of my sin. I invite you to be Lord of my life and I choose to follow you from this moment forward all the days of my life. And for those that want to just come before Jesus this morning and recommit, Lord, I, I come to you now and I realize that there is no other way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.